Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Beer with Darren. Today is a, a really good one, actually, a really interesting one because we're on the flip side of the coin. Uh, I'm joined by Ryan from Superhuman Prospecting, uh, which is actually a firm for cold calling, which you know is a forbidden word amongst marketers. But uh, I'm actually really uh, looking forward to tonight. I'm going to have a, a nice Peroni I've got on the go here. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. What are you drinking? Absolutely. So I'm drinking Sierra Nevada, which I thought was West Coast, but it's actually North Carolina. So learn something new. I'm not a really big uh, IPA guy. So like a pale ale is like the best I could do. So I'm with you, you on know. that. I stick to just normal lager and yeah. Have you got Peroni in the States? Is that, has that reached the States yet? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't had that one. That looks like a tall boy. This is just or something a, a regular. A posh can. I saw it is. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, well, yeah. Different different standards, I guess. Here, not not quite as uh, as big as big there, but uh, yeah. So we we've had. I think I've had Peroni, but it's always like at an Italian restaurant. That's like the only place I can find it. Yeah, Peroni's taken over the UK. Um, Peroni and Estrella. I don't know if you've got Estrella there. How, how do you spell that? Uh, e S T E double L A. I just heard about that one last week. I haven't had it. It's really nice. It's a quite a crisp beer, but um, yeah, Estrella and Peroni have taken over the UK pubs uh, pretty much. That's really? The, yeah, it's a standard drink now. Um, whereas it used to be That's something awesome. Foster's. And if you ever have to have a Foster's in your life, just say no. It's it's awful beer. I've heard that. I've heard it's not actually Australian beer. Like they don't drink it there. No, no. I had a, I had an Australian on the show. Um, five or six episodes back and you know he basically said fosters is like a swear word in australia you can't you can't play that <laughs> so they don't, drink beer. they don't drink beer anyway we digress we, we can talk about beer all night or we can talk about sales and marketing so sure for the people that are listening and watching and uh, that don't know you would you mind just giving a little bit about your background where you came from and uh what you're up to today yeah absolutely so uh yeah ryan paris i'm living in philadelphia pennsylvania so kind of East Coast US. And uh, I am the CEO founder of uh, two firms. One is Paris Marketing, which is my last name. And that spawned a call service company uh, called Superhuman Prospecting. And that is our primary service. That's where I spend most of my time. And uh, like Darren said, we do outsourced sales development for businesses across the country. So a lot of it is uh, good old, telemarketing you know i think what we're trying to do is rephrase it and kind of add a little bit more to what it means to be a 21st century you know sales development rep and and making calls on behalf of other businesses ranging from marketing to insurance finance pretty much any industry you know so uh we've been doing this for about you know three years on the call service side started as Paris marketing. And it's funny that, you know, we talk about uh, the difference between or the connection between marketing and sales, because I've always been in the direct marketing role um, in some type of person to person format. So we've always considered that marketing, even though we're using, you know, sales functions. So we, we, we do see uh, decent pickup rates, but it really depends on the industry. You know, we're, we're, we're seeing that there's conversation rates that change depending on which market you're calling into. So I think that makes a difference. You know, it depends how large the company is, you know, what their position might be, 
geographic location can have an impact. So I think, I think what we see is just understanding each marketplace and its nuance. Oh, okay. Bit. Yeah. It, it really confused me because, and I, maybe I just need to go and have a word with my sales team and tell them they're not doing a good enough job. And maybe I need to be speaking to you as a service. Um, but in the UK, cold calling is, is not dead. Like the phone is not dead at all. Um, we have a dual, dual approach where we're, we're doing all the, the, the marketing side of it. We've got our, our marketing journey set up, you know, the downloadables, the nurture campaigns, et cetera, et cetera. But a big, big chunk, you know, probably the biggest chunk of our business comes through, comes through cold calling. When, um, when people are the service, what, what do they normally come to you with the problems? Why, why do they go for an outsourcing solution rather than try and hire internally? Yeah. So, so there's three primary reasons that that happens. You know, one is, uh, and it's probably the most, the one we get the most, and and that's they just they just don't want to do it. They just don't like it. It's a you know we've we actually heard it's a dirty job to do cold. Well, you you've probably heard that. Yeah, people people think of it as a you know, not, not a nice job. It's up there with. You know, if we're being honest, and I, I work with a lot of recruiters, it's up there with recruitment. Um, recruiting, people, oh, people have the Absolutely. same thing with, uh, real estate agents uh, in the UK. It's why do you think it's got that um, perception? That's a that's a uh, I love that question because that's actually one of the reasons why I'm in this is to kind of advance the the profession of sales as a whole. I think one is that the telemarketing role has kind of a stigma attached to it from you know the days of wall street you've probably seen wolf of wall street or you know boiler boiler room well that was real stuff that happened back there and i'm not saying that's you know 100 all that stuff 100 factual but there's there's laws in place by the sec that don't allow you know there to be boiler rooms and represent those because of all the scams that went down during that time and so i think that you know there's a natural kind of uh you know natural law of kind of negativity between the buyer and the seller, but then you, that you, there's a tension, but then you add this, these scams and slimy sales techniques and you create this kind of beast that is like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe it's another cold caller click, you know? So instead of being someone who provides value and can be helpful, it's automatically a nuisance. You know, so if you're the one doing that thing and everyone's got this perception that it's that it's negative and it's bottom of the barrel type of job that you could have, then I think that's that's part of the reason, you know, yeah. and just that that buyer resistance, that natural law of buyer resistance, I think, you know, kind of kicks in and, and is easily exacerbated. And, and how do you think that so. can be changed? You mentioned you're, you're in this to change that perception. How what things are you doing to change that? Yeah, so we kind of have this subtitle to Paris Marketing, which was the first company we started, which is human to human lead generation. So kind of changing what it means to talk to other people and having a certain level of respect and learning how to build trust with our prospects rather than try to be aggressive and push them over, you know, squeeze them into signing signing the deal. I think actually can speed up the sales process if you do build trust because they're coming on the phone like, oh my gosh, it's a cold caller. I don't want to buy now. I, it's not good timing. And we're like, hey, you know, we just want to help you learn and we're not trying to have you sign any deals today. We'd obviously love your partnership, but maybe we could at least point you in the right direction regarding XYZ topic. 
you know? And, yeah. and if we can re re like establish what it means to talk to somebody through the way that we, you know, deliver our cold calls, hopefully that over time will actually change how people perceive. One, one of the key yeah. words you mentioned there was trust and building trust. It's, yeah. um, they say it's up to seven or 31. I, I lose track now of how many touch points you need with somebody to, to build Yeah, trust. all the touches. It's all of the touches. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, think, I think calling is just another another touch, and we need to come up with a better word for that. But it's another touch of somebody, isn't it? Uh, yeah. 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 I think that's, <laughs> yeah, another word that needs, well, outdated, you know, yeah, connection. Definitely. I don't know. Connect. Yeah, I mean, especially given the uh, social distancing, I don't think we are touching anyone right now, are we? No, not one person. Maybe <laughs> elbow. That's yeah, it. Yeah. And yeah, have, you, have you actually had any face-to-face -face meetings recently? What have you replaced the handshake with? I've done the elbow. I'm a, I'm an elbow guy. See, I walked into um, a meeting yesterday and I did the um, the foot shake. Have you done that one? Ah, uh, I did that once. It felt weird. <laughs> it felt, yeah. It's like, are we about to dance? Like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> no, it, was yeah. really, it was really odd. So I, I took you on a massive tangent there because uh, you were going through the reasons why people um, use your service. What was number sure. two? I took you off on number one. Oh, no. Oh, that's right. That's right. Number, number two is that um, I think the first one I said was they just don't want to do it. Yeah. Number two yeah. is they don't know how. You know, and there's a serious lack of sales education as well. I mean, if you want to be a lawyer, you have to take, I think it's the bar exam. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a doctor, you have to pass the boards. You know, why, why isn't there anything like that for, for sales, for salespeople, you know, some level, some standard to meet in order for you to enter into the profession at a certain level. So yeah, usually it's with higher graduates and the, the strong ones we keep. That's usually the, uh, <laughs> go to market strategy, isn't it? It's, there you uh, go. Yeah. So it's interesting that, you know, people don't just generally have had some experience in sales, but they don't necessarily know the best practices or the ways that things happen, especially outbound, you know, because it has such a, I think a negative stigma, you know, people have avoided it or if they've done it, you know, it's been kind of in a format that I think is dangerous or hurtful for both parties. So that, you know, anyway, it, it, it just ties back to just not knowing how to do it. So, you know, that's something where we've tried to really learn and, and identify processes and methodologies so that we can show that, hey, this this works if you if you follow these steps and things. So, so my background is is tech. I'm a developer. If you go back ten years, I was um, a developer at a company called Broadbean. So when I when I founded Pager, uh, I very I quite really um, I noticed early on the skill sets I was missing, which is why the first hire was was sales. You know, the first person to come with me was sales. My co-founder, um, it's wrong to call him a hire. It was absolutely a co-founder because I needed to fill in the the bits in my persona, my 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 skill set that I was missing basically, and. Mm -hmm. If I if I think why I don't do cold calling, yeah, I'll be honest, it scares the shit out of me. <laughs> oh, it's oh, it's it's terrifying because especially if your first if your first uh, attempt at it, you think about how many times in your life do you have conversations that someone might hang up on you or potentially curse you out or reject reject you, 
and you you attribute that to the times that that did happen in your life, you know, I can't imagine you were ever rejected, Darren. But like for no. me, for me, like you know, that that that's kind of the the feelings that arise, you know, mm. are oh my gosh, like this is I'm getting rejected, and you t- you can take it personal, and I I think. I think that is one of the major humps for cold calling or prospecting sales development mindset that is 100% understandable why it'd be terrifying. Yeah. And you know? how do you, how do you so, coach people to get over that? You know, if, if somebody's watching this or listening to this where they're in the same boat as me because you know, they, they, they've just started a new business, they know they need to go out and win business because without business, their company's going to die. What would your yeah. advice be to them? So it's a tough one. You know, you have to be able to express emotion on your call. You know, what we call emotional intelligence or sales EQ. That's kind of a newer term recently is sales EQ. You have to have emotion in your call, but you have to figure out a way to look at, look at the call as if you're, you're coding or figuring out a program or solving a, a math problem, you know, yeah, I, th- I think that's if you can start to adjust your brain to do that, you start looking at each call as if it's its own puzzle. And so the emotion or the rejection just becomes a part of the puzzle. Like, hey, I tried to fit this piece here and it didn't it didn't fit. OK, well, how, how am I going to next time, you know, adjust in a way so that it does fit? And so if you kind of compartmentalize the take the emotion out of it and and look at the call you can start to see that the reasons why people maybe not go forward with you is just has to do with the way maybe you respond or ask the right questions or engage them or or work through concerns that they might have as a reason to to move forward so don't does, that make, does that make sense yeah it does make sense actually. Yeah. actually if you start to think of it that way you can almost each call as your micro improvements and the end goal. And that's what keeps me going. Like, you know, I'm the the CEO of the the company here at Superhuman, but I'm dying to get on calls. Like, I I love to get on there and make those micro improvements. And that's what I love about sales is because unless you're converting 100% of your conversations, there's always, there's always something that you can work on, you know, and and it always has to do with learning about people more because if you can understand people then that's that's like the problem you're trying to solve or like people people problems so yeah and if i if i think back also i so i did try cold calling right at the start and i fell flat on my face and you know i, I haven't done it for a good while but one that's of the, right. <laughs> one of the problems <laughs> i had was this um you know the most famous word in the world i think in sales is the gatekeeper right so I, <laughs> the I, most I common, yeah. and, hey can i speak to steve and they say well does steve know you're calling i'm like no, he doesn't. Uh, maybe I'm too honest. <laughs> what's your What's your tips to get around the gatekeeper and to you know get through? Yeah, definitely the most common, you know, word, if not the most, you know, used word or uh, yeah, whatever you said there. I would say that the the gatekeeper is such an is such an interesting uh, in you know part of the process because. I think we don't know a lot about gatekeepers. We think we do, but we actually don't know a lot about them. And that, and the reason is it's just through calling and and trying different things and realizing that if you think about gatekeepers differently, you can actually one, either 
pass through to the right person or identify that they're actually a stakeholder in the decision. You know, I would say it's different than like a switchboard operator. I think there's probably different levels, right? Like if you have like a switchboard operator to a mega corporation, that's different than somebody who's the assistant to, you know, the the C-level executive or even in a small business, someone who might be a business partner or a spouse of that of that individual. So I think the way that we go about it is a, a, a two-way approach. One is we call pass through and engage. So the strategy is that you, know, you don't have all the time in the world to win gatekeepers over and be their best friend. You just don't have that time. So the idea is if you keep words short and confident, you know, the gatekeeper can pass you through uh, to get to that person. But if that's not working and they start to say, well, what's this call regarding? Well, that means that they understand something about the business. They understand something about their needs. So if we if we say, oh, well, you know, John should know exactly why I'm calling. Can you please pass me through? Well, if that if that's not true, then you're not really building trust, number one, you know, and that's what they're there to do anyway, is block those kind of calls. So when you get to that, you know, part of the conversation, you engage them and you say, you know, well, actually I'm with superhuman prospecting, I'll, I'll be transparent. This is a sales partnership call. And I'm just calling to see if Darren, you know, is the right person to speak with about, you know, lead generation and, and growing the business. Would that be the right person? And you're always going to put yourself in a position at risk, you know, to, to, cause you're kind of exposing playing your cards. But a lot of times if you are transparent and upfront about what your goals are, one is they're not expecting that because a lot of times people just try to what they call strong arm them, you know? Yeah. Well, John should know why Darren should know why I'm calling pass me over, you know, or whatever. Um, or they're actually have influence, especially like, uh, private practice doctors. If you call private practice doctors, you know, who make the decision there a lot of times it's not the doctors, it's the office managers and practice managers. They're the ones making business decisions or having a huge influence. So if you do that, a lot of times they'll start answering questions. Oh, well, we don't really need that. Oh, oh, you don't. Why, why are you concerned about that? It must mean that you have some type of influence. I love so, that. Crazy. It's very, very true. I used to just, it's where I used to fall down there quite a lot, to be honest with you. Um, with the deeper. Well, it's hard. It's hard because regardless, you're going to get blocked. I mean, that's their job. And I think once you accept that, you start looking at it less like how many times is it going to take me to actually get to speak to somebody, somebody, and you start looking at the gatekeeper as um, the way through, not the way out. And and I think that perception, you might still get rejected, but then you start to think about how can I be a, be a, a, an a, a, an ally here rather than an adversary. I love that. So. And, and with the with the shift to remote working because of COVID nineteen. How's that yeah. affected the the ability to call? Has it made the gatekeepers less there because people are going directly to mobiles? Or that's a good that's a good one. We we actually put out a, an industry report for Q1. It's the first time we ever did that. We kind of like we we publicly displayed our results, right. uh, and it was interesting. We actually got less conversations, and the reason is because uh, it wasn't because of gatekeepers. To your point, it was because that. Uh, a lot of times people weren't set up for remote. So it just went to voicemails at the office that they weren't 
at, you know? Right. And so, however, the people that we did get, it was more direct. So it would like transfer. We tried to call them and no one was at the switchboard or whatever. So it, we went through the directory and it just transferred to their VoIP number, which they either manage on their computer or their cell phone. And we would actually get a lot more, a lot more decision makers. So we, we ended up converting a higher number of the conversations we did have, you know, which is, um, which is obviously what you want, right? Less conversations and more conversions. That's, uh, yeah. That's weird. yeah. So it was interesting. So we had a higher appointment setting, some higher appointment settings because people had more time, you know, it was kind of a reset. So it was interesting. And how do you see that changing as, as hopefully we start to return back to work? I would say that the, the best way I could answer that is we're starting to see some consistency. There was a lot of flux early on and we're, I think everybody was like, what the, what the heck is going on? So we, we, uh, we started, we saw that. And then about July, we started to see more consistency. So it's kind of been like on this slight incline across the board. So more conversations and, and more, more appointments, but it's kind of been on this like, you know, kind of slow incline. That's what we yeah. want. I think, I think that's what the world needs to see right now is consistency. That's what we need. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's definitely a couple of months that we we were thrown all over the place. So we, we were susceptible just as much. But what was great is like we were able to report on that data because we call in so many industries and it was helpful for, for other companies just to see, all right, should I be calling? Is this a good time? You know, like the event industry, there's no point in probably calling that in May. You know, they, they were wiped out, you know, so, and they hadn't gone virtual yet. Yeah. And I think one of the so. key things that we've found is to sell with empathy over this time. The, the, the CRM doesn't stop, right? Our CRM still reminds you to call these people, even though yeah. your head is thinking, this is not a good time to call that person with the CRM. The CRM is wrong. <laughs> the, CR, the CRM did not get COVID. It should have. And then it would yeah. have more empathy. And there's nowhere in there to, to mark it as uh, no pandemic, uh, ask me again in 90 days. You know, it just isn't there. So yeah, the we, we'll, still, we'll still be doing the follow-up calls, but the follow-up calls have become, is everything okay? And, and genuinely meaning, is everything okay? Like, that's the only call you can have right now, I think, with that sort of, that checking point. I don't know if you found that as well. I Well, that's interesting you say that. We actually had a, a little discussion on that uh, earlier on. We did a couple of videos on it, and we actually found that maybe like the first couple of days or so that was helpful but as people were inundated with the covid information we actually shifted the conversation to empathy and the process then more like like uh, niceties on the call so instead of saying hey you know this is Ryan of superhuman prospecting is everything okay over there we started shifting to hey this is Ryan with superhuman prospecting you know, we help companies kind of grow through through the crisis. Um, you know, have you can you know what have you done recently to you know pivot and help your business to continually grow? Have you considered outbound before, or you know, are yeah. you doing it now? And, and that way, it was like, you know, hey, we're just trying to have a conversation. Have you figured out a way to uh, adjust? And that way, the expectations are, are different based upon the times. Um, so I, I, we're going to steal that one from Monday morning. So uh, it's, <laughs> it's all yours. It's all yours. <laughs> oh dear. 
Um, the other thing I want to chat to you about is how do you work with uh, marketing teams? Because one of the one of the processes we have internally is when when somebody gets to a certain lead score, and if they haven't requested a demo of Pager yet, then it goes to a salesperson to follow up. Do you have um, any relationships where the MQLs reach you, and then you're the one that follows up and converts them into an SQL or you know, etc.? Yeah, it kind of qualifies them more. We've we've had several companies we've worked with that uh, have brought us in for that specific reason. It's funny because uh, we can work with anyone from the owner of the company, the CEO, to the, the VP of sales, all the way to the director or VP of marketing. And it's those situations when we work with the marketing person that that's exactly what we're trying to do. And almost every time that we've done it, it's been from some type of webinar or or trade show that people have attended and have expressed some type of interest, whether that's they're just a, someone that's part of the tribe, you know, or somebody that is interested. And our job was to do exactly that, was to get them on the phone and kind of introduce ourselves as that company and then kind of ask questions and figure out if they qualify for that next step, you know? Oh, yeah, because that, and that's one of the yeah. things we found really powerful is I don't know if you guys do it, but we've got lead scoring set up on the websites. We know, I'm going to say the word touch again, how many touch points they've had with us. If they visited the Brighton page, they get more lead scores. And the, it makes the calls, I don't want to say warm, but warmer, slightly, slightly, slightly. <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm like trying to think of a different word than touch, but I'm going to say it. It, any touch that you that you add in is it will it can never hurt it can it can't hurt as a general rule of thumb you know mm -hmm. as a general rule of thumb as a strategy I, I don't think it can because um at least they're familiar with you a little bit and if you have that less trust has to be built and that's one of the hardest things to build cold you know and and that's one of the things that we're, we focus on is if if they have that possibility, you know, we we kind of add some additional services, additional touch points. But if they can do that, it 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 like you said, warms up the conversation. It doesn't win the conversation. You still have to do a lot of work, but it's just that additional uh, trust building mechanism, you know, because of familiarity. They see you around. Okay, they're they're established. They they've been around the block. They're they're here, rather than some guy who's calling you, and it's like I have no idea who your company is. I've never heard of you. Is this even a real call? And there's, you know, so if you have that additional touch point, it can certainly expedite the the trust. You know, it's all about trust. I think we've mentioned the word trust a lot, almost as much as touch, but uh... Tru yeah, very close, very close and similar. So I'm not <laughs> sure. Maybe we could come up with a different word for trust too, if we're doing it for touch. <laughs> Ban T words from now on. They've got to be given. That's it. Letter. Oh dear. Yeah. One of the one of the things I did want to ask you about, um, and I, I don't know if we've got enough time, but hopefully we do is yeah. the relationship between sales and marketing. Quite often it's fragmented. And when I speak to sales teams, their complaint is that the leads from marketing aren't qualified. And if you speak to marketing, the complaint is that sales don't follow up with their leads. Yeah. What do you think causes that friction? And do you have any advice on how to solve that problem? I, I don't think I have good advice. I think, I'll just put that out there. So that I lower the expectation. <laughs> a little bit i think because because i you know every single it's, it's so interesting in the positions i've been in they, they've all been that person to person type of uh you know marketing marketing function with a sales approach like we're using sales techniques like we're all 
trained on Zig Ziglar or, you know, I've, you know, even Grant Cardone or Sandler sales training, you know, like every single one of those was like how we went about it, but it was always a marketing function, meaning it wasn't to sell. It was always to get that initial interest and set up the next step. So when I seek that out, I've been trained in the sales mentality, which is like, you're a hundred percent responsible for your results. So get creative. And so when I come across a lead, that's bad. My mentality, when I talk to that person is, even if they're not interested, how, how do I take responsibility for that and try to be a change agent and actually instill belief into that person that this can work? Yeah. So it's almost like, it's almost like, it's almost doesn't matter what they say. It's all, it, as long as I'm keeping that trust, like I never want to lose the trust. If it, if it just doesn't make sense, then let's move on. Right. But I'm going to try to leave no stone unturned in that, in that process. But I don't think, so that's my, that's the way that my mentality is like, oh my gosh, like leads are so hard to come by marketing. Give me what you can. Now, if it's a student at a university who's interested in your content in pager, well, that's, I can understand that that's a certain level of, that just doesn't make sense. Right. But if there's even a slight possibility that this could work, I'm going to, I'm going to try to take that angle. You know, actually Grant Cardone says, and a lot of people don't like Grant Cardone. Do you know who that guy is? Do you know him? I've watched his YouTube videos once or twice. <laughs> yeah, and you pr- yeah, well, then that was probably it. I'm one of these people that binges on people and I've watched uh, Kerwin Ray, uh, Gary V, you know, all, all of those sorts of people. Um, and once you, once you, it got to the point where I was watching so many videos, I wasn't actually doing anything. So I kind of stopped. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably good. Uh, yeah. Good self-awareness. Good self-awareness there. Um, so with Grant Cardone, he says never qualify because it's, it's almost a sales mentality. Mm. It's never qualify. So, so it's, it's, but that's different than saying, all right, I'm going to have this list of people that to call. Okay. Well, th- is this generally the list of people that I want to reach out to generally? Yeah. You know, so there's a certain level of just like common sense that goes into it. Is this generally the, the, the market? And then I'm going to go and, and get their interest. And then, then I qualify. That's how, that's how we have our scripts written is we generate the interest. And if they're interested, then that makes sense to them in some fashion. So then I qualify afterwards. All right, well, how many employees do you have? How many users do you have? How many blah, blah, blah. If it doesn't make sense, I would rather t- have have taken that opportunity to win them over or generate interest than try to pre-qualify before I even built trust or had any type of interaction. Does that make? Do you follow that? Does that make I sense? Do, yeah, I do absolutely. It's. I think the the key message there was um, salespeople to take ownership and responsibility rather than blame marketing. You know, if you're if you're not happy with the leads. Maybe going so. about it and say, "This is what I expect." You know, how can we get more people like this? Yeah, and I think a lot of it that yeah, exactly. I think a lot of it has to do with marketing. You know, they. It, it, I can't. I can't talk to somebody who doesn't have a phone number. You know, if they don't have a phone number, you know, I can email them. But if it does, the phone number doesn't work. I can't talk to them. If the person is a student who is not interested in content, and he's he or she is interested in gaming i I can't sell them on sales and marketing content subscription no it's like it's like it's just like comments it's almost just like i don't know i don't know i don't know how to explain that 
other than I don't think a lot of times it's expected that salespeople should be able to sell a, a student tribe member of your organization. I, yeah, you, does that make sense? Right? You'd, you'd end up building your business on sand and you'd have a lot of churn. If you force deals through, they're going to be bad deals. And you know, yeah. and, and right. So I think my, the, my, my point is, it, it does come down to the responsibility of the salesperson to leave no no stone unturned. Now we can get we can get to the point where we have too many leads. Well, then we can start to handpick, and that's just a luxury. So if we can handpick. Well, that's a different conversation. That's you know, a, what a lovely problem to have. If I've got too a many. lovely, <laughs> yeah. And that, I think that's when we can start just picking out which ones we want. You know, based upon what we what's been sold before, based upon the deal size based upon the title that when, you know, signs the most deals, then you can use that data to say, all right, well, if I have enough leads and I have the luxury to pick and choose what I want. And I, you know, one day, one day that will be the case, but we're not there. One day. (laughs) Exactly. So then, so then the the salesperson doesn't have uh, the luxury. They have to do the work. They have to put it in because if you don't, then, then you're just an order taker. Yeah. And, and that isn't what sales is. I'll be honest. It's uh, yeah. So, I don't, you, you mentioned earlier you'd need a, a degree or training in sales. You don't need a degree or training in sales to be taking an order, right? That's no. a yeah, good presenter, good articulation and process explanation, you know. Hmm. But yeah, do, do you work with um, just B two B or B two C as well? About ninety five percent B two B. We'll we'll do B two C, and we're opening that up a little bit because we're much more attuned to the uh, the the laws around B two C. You know, um, and so in terms of the cold, what what are the laws in the US around that? Because in the UK, there's there's quite strict laws, and obviously we've got GDPR. I don't think you guys have yet. (laughs) Yeah, and I I I think correct me if I'm wrong. Don't call me on this. I think that's more for the the email side. I think there might be a little bit of, you know, on the call side in the US, it's it's all over the board. You know, you have the the do not call list, which now applies sometimes to business to business. Um, you have recording laws, you have the telemarketing consumer protection act. So there's like all of these different intersecting laws and we've had to go through a lot of education on ensuring that we're, you know, it's building trust with the marketplace again, too. It's not spamming people. It's making sure that we're, we're reducing risk and reducing the amount of people that, you know, who, who don't want to be called and it's probably not going to be a good lead anyway. Yeah, so and that's so. an interesting point because a lot of people I speak to say that cold calling or cold prospecting damages your brand. Um, and these are usually marketers because they care about the brand a lot more than the salesperson because the marketer for me has to think longer term, whereas the salesperson often thinks this month, you know, yeah. what to do this yeah. month now. Um, the long term brand damage doesn't usually come into their their uh, sales. That's a good point. What do you think? Yeah. That's the right balance is between the two. Well, uh, that's a that's a good one. That's Have a good one. Um, a single beer, you'll be. Yeah, yeah. Let me. Yeah, what am I doing here, man? I'm just... <laughs> oh, sorry, I, I've been asking you all the questions. Mm. If, you, if you want to ask oh, me, that's good. A beer, feel free. <laughs> yeah, I'll ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. So, so you you you. I was looking at Pager, and I thought it was really interesting. Actually, I thought that I've never seen anything like that. And we just, you know, you you met Danielle our content manager and she she is the content manager to promote the, the sales development position yeah you know and it's funny because we work daily we have a daily call to talk about 
alignment of our mission, uh, awareness, branding, and then lead generation and how it's all going to tie in. And it's, you know, the things that you have are cool because, because we have to have those conversations so much, it, it speaks to what I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, what, what your uh, uh, app does, which is kind of aligns the, the salesperson's message, you know, with the company's mission, vision, values, and brand so that it's like approved or it's, uh, am I on the right page here? You Am I going in the right direction? Are. Okay, you are. I'll stop there while I'm ahead. Again, I'm listening intently. <laughs> yeah, so I, you know, so that that because we have that conversation every day. So if it's in an app, it's you know we can do that all throughout the day, and we don't have to save it for our morning meeting. You know, we could like, hey, like, what do you think about? She'll be like, I'm going to post. You know, here here's something for you to post within our mission and vision. Go for it. Yeah, I mean, we're, so we're, we're ultimately a social selling tool. You know, the yeah. idea that um, LinkedIn is one of the most powerful networks. I mentioned I don't do cold calling. I still do bill for the business, but I do it through LinkedIn. Um, yeah. Obviously, we've got the balance between um, you know, cold outreach and, and inbound marketing as well. But a lot of what I do is through, through social. And that's where Pager comes into its own. So the idea is that salespeople should be informed about their industry. So they get an email from us every single morning with everything that's happened in the industry overnight so they can read it, digest it, you know, be up to speed, so have better conversations on the phone, number one, but oh, also okay. in one click, put out that content onto social um, at the right time with the right hashtags without thinking about it. Um, and also for your content people internally, your marketing team internally, to be able to push out the company content through your salespeople um, because the salespeople have got, you know, on average, two and a half thousand connections on LinkedIn. Um, they're connecting to customers you want to talk to every single day. And for marketing to be able to tap into those networks, you know, it's a huge organic audience you're not tapping into. So when you produce your your blog post, you mentioned you just uh, you out you opened up your data for the quarter, um, pushing that out onto your salespeople's profiles, and then measuring the impact. So we we track the likes, the comments, the clicks um, of all the salespeople's posts, and then we give you that impact analysis internally. That's what we do. Um, and if anyone's listening to the podcast that has no idea what Pager does. I think that's the first time in around 20 episodes I've ever said what we do. <laughs> there you go, man. There you go. You can keep that clip and then get rid of the rest. Yeah. Fun. There you go. <laughs> oh, but, yeah. Yeah. So it's crazy because th this was our first time hiring a content manager. Danielle's our first uh, uh, person and she comes with a, a, a great background in it. And so t you talking about that makes so much sense now, now that we're six months in or however many months in, you know, developing a, a content strategy around, you know, promoting, you know, the sales development profession. And it's cool. I can, I can see the value for sure. We primarily work with um, recruiters in the UK. That's where the business started. My background is recruitment tech. And um, we now work with um, B2B businesses, basically B2B yeah. businesses sales teams. That's, that's where we are. Um, but we use it internally. Everything we always do is always, does it add value to us? Because you know we're a business like everybody else, and if it does, then we we send it out to the market. And yeah, we've had it's been a crazy couple of years, to be honest with you. Um, hmm. It's uh, put, put bags good, under my good bag. crazy, oh yeah. insane crazy. Yeah, I mean we've got around around two hundred and twenty customers now in two years. Um, obviously, got the US and Australia as well. So it's been a been a whirlwind. Um, considering you. you know when I when I first started the business, the goal was just to be able to support my family. You know, that's all, that was my number one goal. Absolutely. Um, 
and we surpassed that in you know six months. It was uh, yeah, pretty crazy, pretty crazy. But uh, I'm enjoying awesome, every minute as well, and I love having conversations like this. This is this is another thing I love: meeting new people and uh, yeah, adding value to everywhere, building trust. You know, touching people and building trust. That's what we're all about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the good way. <laughs> in a good way. In a really, really, really good way. In a really uh, good one. But Ryan, thank you so much for joining me because I've learned a lot around actually how you should be positioning cold calling. It isn't it isn't a dirty word. Um, it's just got to be done in the right way. And uh, yeah, is there anything you want to say before we uh, call it a night? Yeah, uh, I'll do a little promo here. Next week we have our H to H sales script um, methodology dropping. It's another content guide, and it's all about how to have cold phone calls in the 21st century as a, as a modern uh, salesperson. So, Amazing. And for anyone yeah. watching on YouTube, that link for, will be in the description. So just uh, send me the link after, Ryan. We'll make sure we put it in. Definitely. Appreciate that. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time. I will catch up with you soon. Cheers, Darren. Thank you. Cheers.